Hey, this is Iso, and welcome to another episode of How We Work. Today, we have another episode with Adam, my buddy who is very wise and has a lot of interesting things to say about so many subjects. Last week, we covered a lot of good stuff, and I thought it would be cool to split it up into two parts so you could kind of digest it all. There's a lot there. Today we talk about a lot of things. Uh, one of my favorite conversations, we talk about AI a bit. I kind of fall in the AI has some kind of consciousness camp, and I'm not really sure what that means, but it is just amazing when you're interacting with this thing. There's something there, and who knows what's right, what's not right. There's a lot of argument on both sides, but it's a conversation me and Adam have a lot, and so we talk about that a little in here. We talk a lot about the value of time and how that is really your most important resource, and he has a lot of great stuff to say about that. And he also tells us how much money he makes, which is an uncomfortable question that I've been asking most people that I've interviewed for this podcast. I think the reason I've been asking that question is because, especially with the kinds of people that I'm interviewing, no one really has any sense of how much money people make who are living their lives in a kind of unique way. Even people who have more salary jobs never talk about it. It's this thing we think about all the time that we never discuss. And so I've been asking the question, even though it feels pretty uncomfortable to me to ask. Um, and some of the people have been pretty uncomfortable answering it, or they haven't answered at all, which is totally okay. I think for people listening to the podcast, it's just a nice piece of information. So I'm trying to put myself in that fairly uncomfortable position, and at the same time not come off kind of sounding like a jerk. So me and Adam have a really great talk, and I hope you enjoy it. So I also tried something new on this episode. I put what I'm calling a soundscape behind the audio, so just really almost sub-audibly, you can just barely, barely hear it, is a recording I did of walking on the beach in Oakland. So I've created this practice, I call it sound foraging, and basically just go out into the world with a recorder and record some kind of sound. You know, it's been a lot of nature sound so far. And the rules for myself are that I can't ever use a soundscape twice. So once it's in this episode, it will never be in another episode. So that kind of forces me to get out and do more of this stuff. And that when I'm recording, I have to have headphones on. So the idea is that I'm really focusing on the experience I'm having. So you should try it sometime. It's almost, it's almost meditative. I mean, it's not almost meditative. It really is because you're really focusing on the environment you're in and it also forces you to get out into some natural space or some space maybe you wouldn't be in otherwise. You know, even walking on the street doing this in the city is an interesting experience because it makes you really focus on the sounds and the sensations around you. So I hope you enjoy that and thanks for listening. Something that I've always really thought about you is you are someone who has been in all these situations where like you own a company or, or you're starting a new thing, you know, you're in charge in some various kind of way, but you don't have the overbearing CEO, I have all the answers personality at all, you know? And I think uh, that 
it's something that I really struggled with when I first started my business was I felt like that was what was expected of me is like, I need to be the person with all the answers. Like I need to be in charge of this situation. The kind of person who is in charge is the kind of person who knows all the answers. Um, and you don't seem to feel pressure to, to kind of blow yourself up into that personality, you know? And it's something I really respect. Like you, like you're talking about and I'm wondering where you think that comes from. Do you think it's like something you've always felt or something you've developed over time? And we've talked some about this, but I kind of wanted to ask directly. I think that I, when I'm leading a group of people, I lead much more intuitively. I think that my, I think I wasn't, I have this deficit in that when I was young, I wasn't exposed to a bunch of models like that. Um, I didn't, you know, there really wasn't a, 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 a super strong, you know, parent figure in my house. I dropped out of college, so I didn't ever have a lot of respect for that system or involvement in that. I wasn't part of really any f very serious formal corporate cultures until, until a little bit later in life. And so I don't think that that, that dominant hierarchical model was ever really presented to me. And so when I started leading people, I led very intuitively, which was just how do we get the, how do we get the, how do we get the best, right? How do, how do we get everyone to contribute to this? I focused a lot on how to get everybody. It's real, it's real popular now, but it wasn't that popular of a concept um, in the, you know, in the mid nineties when I first started to work in technology, this concept of bringing your whole person to work, your whole self. Um, so that you're incorporating what you think about the world and not just your professional opinion when you're giving opinions. And I think, you know, I just tried to build as, as strong a base of, again, diversity and insight as possible in making decisions. Um, one thing I am really good at, and I know that you're good at too, is I will make decisions. And I think so. I don't have that brash, top-down decision-making thing, but I do think a something that, I've come to realize is a bit unique is that I'm actually willing to make decisions and I'm willing to stick with those decisions. I don't, I don't waffle a lot once I feel like I have all the available information. Um, and so I'm willing to do that. Um, whereas I think some other people aren't willing to do that, you know, to really make that final decision. Um, but yeah, I just, I've always tried to incorporate all sorts of different perspectives. I, I have the other benefit in that, Earlier in my career, when I was doing all the behavioral systems work, I got the, the opportunity to work with uh, essentially a lot of um, business thought leaders, right? Um, Peter Senge out of MIT, um, Ken Blanchard, um, business professors from Stanford, um, Jim Cotter on change design out of Harvard. Um, these were all mentors to me at that stage of my life. And a lot of them have, you know, the sort of business books that we've all become accustomed to. Um, and I think, you know, kind of numb to in a lot of ways. But a lot of those those thoughts being exposed to all these different ways to manage people, manage a system of people, manage the processes that guide that system of people, 
all those different perspectives, um, they really, I actually kind of at the time um, rejected it a little bit. But now I find myself many years later constantly reflecting back on whatever model from whatever book that actually I found myself using quite a bit. So, so that was helpful. I've just always found that you get better success with a very inclusive management style, um, especially when you're dealing with consumer software is a great example. You have, if, uh, when I was at Linden Lab, I had hundreds of people who worked on my team and they all had very, very different insights into what consumers wanted, what was happening, what the user behavior was. And so the only real way you'd get to a good solution was to listen to them. And I've seen the opposite of that, which is what happens when you don't listen to them. I'll say one other thing about it, even though I know I've said a lot. No, keep going, man. Earlier, I mentioned this concept of people who, you know, it's like people who make shit versus what I always call strip mining. Builders versus miners. Yeah, right. And so the um, there's this group, I would even say this class of people, this psychographic of people that I would include myself in, where we really just like to make things. We like to pull something from nothing, from just the, the nothingness around us, create some form. And it requires immense amount of energy and the entire kind of universe tries to pull it back into nothingness, right? Whether you're writing a book or making a podcast or a piece of software, if it's not derivative of something else, if it's true, truly new, it takes this incredible amount of work. And we're the people who, um, you know, we, we, we do with the right intent, right? We get in and we want to create this thing. And when you're managing a group of people and you're one of those people, um, you, it becomes very, very inclusive. The type of management style, which is generally what happens next, which sadly is where most of the money is generally made, um, it is they take something that's happened in the world and then they that's been created through all this hard work and then they mine it in some way. And I don't mean to be overly cynical with that. It sounds like a terrible word, but things have to be. And listen, I'm I'm a big believer in capitalism. I think people should make money. I'm not opposed to it, but they tend to essentially pull all the value out of it over time, and that's a very different process. And probably involve it you generally involves a lot of that top down management style um and it's very operationally focused and it's not about building things so you know it's part of this management thing is just I'm the type of person who likes to make stuff. I'm not really the type of person that like to squeeze every dollar out of it and operationalize it and make sure all the shareholders are super happy um and sometimes I wish I were more of that person. But I, I'm just not, and I don't fight it anymore. Um, and, and, and generally in companies, I find myself between those two worlds because I can play a convincing role in either one. Um, but my, um, which has been very helpful, it's been a great asset for me. But my sort of spiritual place is with the builders. And it's why I left tech, because there were... Um, there was, I didn't feel like there was as much room for builders anymore. Yeah. And I think that gets back to what we were talking about before about intention, right? Like if your intention is to build something that you believe in to put out into the world, whether that's like 
an Alzheimer's drug or whether that's a piece of software. And like people around can feel that, right? They can feel that you kind of are of pure intention um, without knowing how to say it better um, and are drawn towards that. And like having yeah. that, like, I've, I, like I definitely feel like people are, people want to be near people who are excited about making something. And if you can kind of communicate that excitement, whether that's through like how you promote it or how you kind of talk to your team about it, people are kind of drawn towards that purity, right? Um, how do you decide what project to work on next? I feel, I feel called to certain projects. Um, it can be a calling in different ways. Um, sometimes it's the people um, who are going to be working on it. Sometimes it's I feel like it's a, a problem I need to get engaged with to be able to sleep at night. Um, and lately I've had more projects I get engaged in because I feel like something is being missed that's important and I have some experience to bring to it and I just try to find a way to bring that experience. Meaning I don't own it. I just want... I, I think they're missing something and I want them to see what they're missing. I should have some systematic way of evaluating things. Um, no, I don't think you I should. Don't. I don't think, but I don't think that like, I don't think someone like you thinks like that. You know, I think that like, I think that what's so beautiful about what you've done, like with this new project is it kind of has nothing to do with what you've done in the past. It's not like there's no one who would write a career trajectory for someone and be like, okay, well you go from this to this, to this, like you've just followed the things that you're interested in and you feel like you have something to contribute to and you're excited about and you're focused on right now. And that's why they're successful. I think, you know, like if you, if you started some project because you felt like it was the next logical step in your career, but you weren't really excited about it at that moment, it probably wouldn't work that well. You know, and I think people who start projects because they feel like they should or they have to, or it's like, it's the right thing to do for their like long-term prospects. Like they're kind of like hollow of, they're hollow of purpose. And so right. I think just finding, you know, getting interested in something starting it because it feels like something that you that will be good for the world and will make you feel good like i think that's reason enough you know i think it's a great reason yeah i mean we're playing uh an omnidimensional game here right i mean wherever you are is where you belong there is not you know where i find myself today there is not some other path i'm supposed to be on and i'm going to find my way back to it i mean i just I play from where I am, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, it is it is fascinating. Yeah, so I mean, I that means I've got several things going all the time at once, like you do, um, and I enjoy it that way. Yeah, it's more fun, you know? And I think, that, I think the way that you were talking about it just now, too, is important. Like, just believing that wherever you are is the place that you're supposed to be. Right. Like, and it, it helps, it helps with a lot of anxiety of, of what I should be doing. Am I using my skills 
at, in as in a as positive way as I possibly can. Like, should I have been doing something else? It's like something I struggle a lot with. Like when I hear about right. honestly, like when I hear about your career, and I've thought this the whole time we've hung out. I'm like, man, I'm a little jealous. Like, because you've done yeah. all these like really big things. And you were surrounded by all these really, really smart people, these mentors. And, like, I've really liked the things I've done. But I've also, like, just, like, been kind of, like, cobbling it together, figuring it out. Like, they have not been, like, some part of me feels like, you know, just like everyone that, like, oh, I could do something so much grander than I'm doing, right? You know, but the reality is, like, I've really liked the things that I've done. And they made a lot of people really happy. And they made me happy and like they support me, you know, not lavishly by any means, but like, I'm certainly not starving. Um, and I should feel good about them and I do feel good about them. But like, if we, if I start thinking in this, like, oh, well, where should I be kind of way? It's like, it's a fucking dead end, you know, it's like a, it's like a recipe for madness. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because who see, knows what you, could have been you know like yeah i know so see yeah. you could you you could have been doing what i'm doing and i could have been doing what you're doing and we're equally totally. jealous or envious or whatever the right word is and mm. there you go yeah, yeah there's always what other people are doing yeah and i, it, I can't compare i, I don't want to make it you can't and it is it is um an endless hole and i do find torment in that um i think one thing with having shifted careers a lot and worked in a lot of different industries and around a lot of different people. Um, there's always a question of when you give up. Right. And you know, the, cause there are two ways to look at switching things around a lot. One is that you just can't stay focused on anything long enough. And the other is that you've really given that enough energy and it's time to move on to a different set of problems. And I think that that's, um, it's very subjective and it's hard to tell exactly when that point is. I know that I struggle a lot with this. I suspect I that you probably that. struggle yeah. Yeah, a lot with it as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like one right? of my core because, struggles. Yeah. 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 And, and we're both hard workers. And so there's a question if I put in, if I put in enough work, like, is this, you know, and because they're not all going to be winners, it's not always going to be obvious that, oh yeah, no, this is great. And I just made hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I know it was a success. There are lots of successes that don't look like that. Right. Um, where, like you said, you've all these people, you've changed their lives, you've made them a lot happier. Um, but there's no real objective way to measure that where you're like, yeah, I'm done. Right. So at some point we mm-hmm. always have to move on and recognize that even really great things end, um, and it ending doesn't change the value of the thing itself. And, um, but so my, when I reflect on my life, about half of the projects I've worked on, I've thought I should have stuck with that a little bit longer. And about half, I think I stuck with that way too long. I don't know. It's something that does torment me sometimes. So the best thing is to just play forward, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you're saying, there's no, there's no objective answer to did it go on too long did i not put enough effort into this thing like for me like Bridge kitchen is like winding down for me i really hope it keeps running but like for me my kind of time is coming to an end with it like i'm ready to move on to something else and like if it does close i won't feel like it's a failure because like it was what it needed to be 
for the time it needed to be and like helped a lot of people and like was a nice time for me. Um, and like you're saying, all things will end at some point. Yeah. You know, they um, will. And so may- maybe that's the, maybe that's something that, maybe that's something that's different about me and different about you is that we're willing to let things end. Right. Mm. It's um, because I think societally we, tend to hang on to things and we tend to devalue things that we lose and i do feel more comfortable letting go of things i think maybe than other people do that goes but it also goes back to decision making and it goes back to you know am i a builder versus a miner right so you know if i've built something and there's no one to step in to extract all this value from it um does that really diminish the building itself and mm-hmm. the answer is no but you know, I'm I'm bringing all this up because I think that the this idea that you can take a circuitous route through life and have all these different careers, um, it, it has it's very hard in a lot of ways, right? It's not it's not always perfect, and it's not just following what the next thing is. There are still just like anything else, there are regrets and hopes and difficulties, but we trudge on. Well said. Okay, I'm going to ask you the rest of these questions, and this time I really <laughs> okay. won't have a conversation with you. <laughs> like, I'm really going to be, I'm going to be disciplined with myself. Okay. Um, can you take me step by step through starting your most recent project? Like, what are the steps you really took in the beginning? Not all of them, but some of them. You know? How did you think about it? Um, so, the project I'm working on now came about kind of organically i suppose and this gets to how do i choose which projects gonna work on next the choice isn't you know it doesn't quite work like that and so this one arrived organically i talked about with my father getting sick and um it, it really just was it was born out of wanting to help this one particular person once i was able to help him because his parkinson's disease um he, he, he did get better. Um, then it became an obligation at that point to, to be able to expand. Mostly I don't look at, um, generally I would have a lot more opportunity to think about scale, not scale, and I'd be more disciplined, I suppose, with how I think about a project. But when you have something that fundamentally changes someone's life, you get into this, I, I found myself in this, more with this ethical obligation to help others. And so the way I thought about it uh, was what group of people do I need in order to, to really advance this and scale this up? Um, thankfully, I'd already been working with a, a long-term colleague on some other projects, and he was the type of person who, who was also willing to put themselves in a room full of biotech executives or PhD scientists or whatever it might be and take take whatever consequences arrive from that. So for me, it's always important to work with other people. It's it's always a question of who I can collaborate with. And because I, I don't like working alone. I, I like working with other people. I like to have people to work ideas. And I don't think about that very strategically beyond like who who will I do the best work with? Like at that stage, it's who is a good creative partner in this you know who's not going to slow down the work diminish the work 
put up the types of barriers that are like, I don't need anyone to tell me that it's going to be very difficult as a non-biotech person to create a new pharmaceutical, right? Like I don't, I don't need a business partner who's going to remind me of that. I need someone who is understands the risks and challenges, but is game for it. And so I had that. And then I think about what other types of people we need, how we're going to finance it, what the next steps are going to be. Um, you know, so it's just standard sort of business planning, I suppose. What do you think of the idea of work-life balance? It's meant different things to me throughout my life. It used to mean when I started working that when I first started working that you would go to work and then you would have time at home and you wouldn't spend 20 hours a day at work. Then I, I quickly became very dead set on integrating all parts of my life. So I didn't really feel a lot of separation between say, home life, and work life and all that because I felt like my home person was at work and my work person was at home and the separation became kind of negligible. And now I am a, just a, a huge believer in, in not working, not working for large chunks of the day. And it's not because I'm lazy, it's because I think better that way. I used to read the studies and whatnot when I was younger and say, well, that's bullshit. Um, that's just not true. Um, I don't know if it's now because I'm older and I need it more or what, but I, um, every moment I take away from doing a productive task, I'm twice as productive when I come back to it. So I spend a lot of time hiking, driving, showering, doing all the things where we have creative thoughts that pour in, right? Um, mm. You know, just anything outside of the work itself. I also, I've made a career out of thinking about problems in abstract ways. And so if I'm trying to come up with a, a, a problem around software, a problem around biotech, problem around whatever, I, I have a much better chance of solving it if I'm looking at models that don't directly apply. So I try to find models from other walks of life. Like if I'm dealing with the human body, I could be inspired by a mathematical model or, you know, leaves on a tree or like I, I look for models outside of the problem space and it just helps me approach it in different ways. And, and honestly, that's what I've built my career on. It's just trying to apply models from one place in a different place. So it's very important for me to get away from the work itself. Do you think ChatGPT is conscious? No. Why not? um i don't think okay Isa, that's not a fair question because we have to get into the nature of consciousness um it's true this is not a short question but it's something we kind of talk about a lot you know um so it is no i i i don't think it's conscious i think it's very good at um but I would say it's, it's, it, it, it's appearance. It, it appears as conscious as any reasonable human being does. So yeah, I suppose totally. that leads to the question of what is consciousness? Yeah. Right. I mean, it seems suspicious. to have suspicious, you know, like how well it, it is. I mean, I suppose yeah. I don't think it's conscious just because I've played around with it enough to see some, to, I suppose, expose the way the learning model has some, some gaps in it. So it's not conscious quite in a way that I think of consciousness, but it is very convincing as a consciousness. Yeah. 
We could talk about that for a long time as we have, but we can move on. Well, um, we could. I mean, you want, we, we can get well, going. Gotta, we could do a whole other thing, man. I know. We should do a whole episode on. We should just have a chat GPT discussion. We should. Yeah, because I think it's because I think that, I mean, what you're saying, and I won't go on too long, but yeah, about the nature of consciousness, like what we believe is conscious, what I see in you that makes me believe that you are conscious, even though I have no insight into actually what's going on in your brain what different kinds of consciousness are, right? Like my dog is conscious in a way that I'm not and vice versa. You know, there are different kinds of consciousness and how do we kind of think about that? And anyway, it's just, there's something, I'm, I'm suspicious. I'm getting more and more suspicious of chat GPT. It's mostly... There's fucking something going on there. It really like, yeah, yeah. I mostly pick on GPT because I don't want to lose you as a friend. And I think you're spending more time with an AI than you are with me. And... <laughs> That's not a no. You know what? I, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not getting obsessive about it. I really am just like asking for feedback on things. And it's just very insightful feedback. You know, not as insightful as you, but you know, you're very busy. So <laughs> I got to go somewhere else. Um, okay. I know you got to go soon. So I'll speed through this. Um, what do you do after something that feels like a failure to get yourself back on track? Well, on the practical side, I'll just uh, let me just begin by saying <laughs> that the one trick that I recommend everybody do is before the project ends, whether it's going to be a success or failure, start a project of a similar size. And the reason is I've seen this all throughout my career where people do a big project and there's this big valley. It's easy when you when you finish something that's big and important, you get stuck in this this valley. This um, it's it's you feel despair and emptiness. It was this important thing, and now it's gone. And people lose months, people lose years of productivity and work on future projects. And the solution for that is totally counterintuitive and feels awful at the time, but you'll thank yourself later which is you start another project months before that one is expected to end so that you're even more busy when you come off of that project. There's no downtime. So just start doing something um, and it will ease you through that. It will transition you into this other project. So what I mostly do is whether it's a success or a failure, as you've asked, is I just keep myself busy. I do try to learn from it. It generally takes me years to really get all the lessons from it. Um, I'm, I don't let go, you know, I'm, I'm, I can let go of things, but the change of letting go of something versus the transition of understanding what it meant to me, what my relationship to that thing is and why it failed takes a lot of time. So I just start working. And again, I start working before it fails because once it fails, that's a much harder point to start working. You have to keep momentum up in life. Right. It's very, very hard to start moving a stationary object. Right. So if you have momentum, the idea is to just shift it and not worry about like, oh, is this the wrong way to go? Right. You can worry about that later. Right. You can you can shift it again later. But getting that momentum back is much, much harder. So just do something. Do anything. Decide later it's the wrong thing and do something different. But don't stop. That is really good advice. That is, I really, that's, that's a really good answer to that question. Yeah. Um, 
because, and again, we could talk about this for an hour, but I won't let myself because <laughs> I'm going to be disciplined. Um, do you feel successful? No, but I feel happy, right? So, and as much as happiness is a kind of success, I don't feel successful as it's largely defined. You know, I've, I've never made oodles of money. Like you said, some projects fail. Um, so I don't have a hundred percent success rate, but I feel successful in that I have, I get to work on projects that I very much enjoy that I think are really meaningful for myself and the people around me and people who need them. I'm very resilient and I, I can see how all of the ups and downs and whatever else that I've had in life and working on all these different things. It creates this resiliency where, you know, you asked, you know, how, how you deal with failure. Because I have, don't have this one definition of what success looks like, it's very hard to take it away from me, right? And it creates a resilience in the way that I look at the world, the way that I think about money, the, um, the concepts of success and of failure. I just feel like a more elastic person than many of the people around me. And so whatever kind of success I have is a very, it's very hard for the, for people to take away from me. Good answer. Um, and these ones you answer very quickly. Finish, okay. these, sen finish these sentences. No, no, these oh, are that's the, easy. This, okay. Good. Finish these sentences. I love food, food. I wish these I had, yeah, they're hard. Well, then maybe that maybe that's, means that they're actually good questions. I wish I had a little more time. I wish I hadn't. Um, well, okay, I'll just I'll just be honest. I wish I hadn't um, been so hard on myself at various times of my life. It's a great answer. Um, and this is a question that I am going to ask. I have asked everyone so far, and will we'll really want to ask people? Um, and it's a very uncomfortable question that a lot of people don't like to answer and there's no pressure okay. to answer it if you don't want to, but how much money did you make last year? Zero dollars. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. 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 Good. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I think, so the reason I want to ask you, you know, this kind of podcast is all about like, work but life and how you kind of make it in the world as someone who's doing unique stuff and i think how much money we make is something that people think about all the time but no one ever talks about and like no one has any sense of how much other people are making especially people who are kind of like doing things uniquely and so actually i think it would be really interesting for people to know like what do you think yeah, about you asking me? people that question what's that i think it's fine i mean yeah you might want to like i could have elaborated and said I made zero dollars. Some years are like that, and some years are incredibly lucrative. I think if you want to be a builder, you, you're going to have years where you don't make money, right? Where it's just about it's just about making the thing. And if this gets back to intent, if you're focused on money and how do I make sure that there's just enough for things, um, you know, sometimes you lose your intent because then you're in the room and you're selling, right? And you know, I can be in the room later and sell. Um, the trick is you just have to, I think for me to do the things that I need to do, I've come up with ways to live in a leaner way. I have a, I have a comfortable life. Um, 
but I can go without some things. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's know. a good way to live. Right. Yeah. Cause like if you're always living, you know, if you're always living right at your means, you have no flexibility for anything to ever change. And like you lose so much freedom. Right. I mean, not if you're always living at the exact amount that you're making at that moment, you have no flexibility. You have to do the things that you're doing right now, or you have to do them bigger, or you have to make more money. You never have the freedom to move in a direction that might feel right to you and might feel like it's close to your intention because like you have this lifestyle to support, you know, like keeping yeah, yourself lean, I think is like, really, it's very important. It is. And, and there's another side to it. I've worked with a lot of people over the years and small startups and whatnot who, um, they, even if they don't meet, need the money, they get really fixated on the money early on and it prevents them from doing things that are really, really meaningful and would add a lot of value in other ways. And a lot of m many people I think feel cheated in a way. Like we're always on the lookout. Again, it's this sort of world of scarcity we live on. Like, am I being cheated because I'm not making money? Mm -hmm. And the truth is, no, you're not being cheated. There are times where there's money and there's times where there's not money. And the trick is to keep your head down and do the work and the money will come later. Um, it always kind of makes me feel a little sad for those people, actually. Um, the the only the only common denominator we all have is time right a lot of people have different money or whatever else might have but we all have the same amount of time or we have different amounts of time but it's fixed in each case right and so even if i pay you for your time i'm not paying you enough for it right because it's it's fixed you can't make more of it um you're going to run out of it it's a immeasurable value to every human being and so uh, I need to have agency over what I do with my time, which is, in my case now, it's creating these therapeutics for very sick people. The thought that somebody else wouldn't do that because they feel like their time needs to be valued in this certain way, it actually diminishes the value of their time because the value of their time should be measured in doing this productive, good work, not in dollars per hour which is a ridiculous value to put on this immeasurable asset we all have, right? So, I don't know. It's tricky. Money's fucked. Yeah, no, it's confusing, do. right? Especially <laughs> in do. this moment, in this culture we're in, in this area we're in, right? Where yeah. you, look at, you look at some people and they have a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Like one person can have a billion dollars. Like the fact they're even allowed to have that much money boggles my mind but like it does make you feel like fuck i don't have a billion dollars or anywhere close to that like maybe i'm not doing the right thing even if you're yeah. not focused on money right because you're like oh there's some opportunity that i could have taken where i could have also made a billion dollars um but yeah it's like it's a dark road to go down you know like enough money to survive is important i think it would also be very stressful you couldn't really yeah. trust anybody you know, everybody always wants something from you. Well, I'll say this. I, know, do a I lot. know a lot. I know a lot of people who are billionaires. None of them are happier than me or you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The None one billionaire them. I've ever met didn't seem very happy. Yeah. Cool. 
Adam, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Amazing Thanks job. Thanks for having as, me. Amazing conversation, as always. And um, I will reach out to you soon so we can hang out and have a lunch. Sound that sounds good? great. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Adam. It was great talking. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. He's a really smart guy, isn't he? So many things. It's always really fun talking to him. So next week, we will have something a little bit different, which is this reminder post. It's kind of like an essay I did. And I'll explain more about that next time. But I hope you check it out. It's something that is very personal and something I felt a, a little bit embarrassed about putting out into the world. I wasn't really sure. It's very personal, but it's something that I really think could help folks. So I thought I'd try to overcome that and send it out into the world. And I'm going to now play you a little bit of that audio so you can hear it.